Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis, and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today's show is all about wine, with a few references to books and reading thrown in for good measure. Our special guest is award-winning Canadian wine critic Natalie McLean. I say critic, but Natalie is many things. She's the author of two books about wine, Red, White and Drunk All Over, which is about many areas of the wine business, from critics to vineyards and wine shops. And also Unquenchable, where Natalie visits the world's vineyards that are producing affordable wines. Her website, nataliemclean.com, is a huge resource for wine lovers full of reviews and ratings and recommendations. Natalie has also recently launched the Unreserved Wine Talk podcast, where she interviews notable people from the wine business and talks candidly about her experiences in wine. And now, Red, White and Drunk All Over is available as an audiobook. Natalie is busy, that's for sure. So, let's get started. Welcome, Natalie. Hello, Richard. It's great to be here with you. Thank you very much for joining us. I'll... Uh, I'll get going. My first question. I think I interviewed you about 12 years ago. Whoa, yes. <laughs> yeah, when Red, White and Drunk All Over was just published. Uh, it sounds like a lot of remarkable things have happened since then. Yes, well, the book has aged well, like a, a good wine should. <laughs> and as you noted, it's now in audiobook format. Um, but since then, that was my first book. I've also published another one. Again, as you noted, unquenchable. And I've also got more into the high-tech world. So I've launched uh, some mobile apps for iPhone, Android, where you can just go into a liquor store, scan the front label of a bottle or the back barcode, and it'll instantly access my reviews and scores. And then the other thing that I've turned to since then is teaching wine online. And I absolutely love it, Richard. We do live interactive videos and wine tastings, and I think it really makes people comfortable with wine. What do you mean, teaching wine? Right. You might imagine, how could I teach wine online? Am I, you know, sending, virtually texting the bottles to my students? No. <laughs> but it's different from going to a physical location, say a local restaurant, and teaching people how to taste wine or pair it with food. So all of my students and I, we jump on uh, a video tool. It's like Skype. It's not Skype. Uh, it's called Zoom. And everybody can see each other, unless they're shy and they want to turn off their camera. I totally get that too and we've all uh, have the same wines uh, we've gone out the week prior to get the same bottle of wine and we're trying it with different types of food maybe it's cheese one week and it's chocolate the next those are food groups by the way in my world and we have a lot of fun I think it's it's very interactive it's via video we have chat on the go and people really enjoy it because they can do it from the comfort of their home so they're not having to drive home afterwards um, but it's also very uh, much less intimidating than sitting in a say a class a formal class so I get students from around the world from the US Canada but Brazil Panama the UK everywhere and I, I just love it so it sounds like you are teaching and tasting wine professionally almost every day exactly um, I've always wondered this but how do you keep finding original ways to describe wine well you know I think 
I'm interested in what goes on around the glass, not just what's in it. And that that's those are the that's the basis of my stories in Red, White and Drunk All Over and Unquenchable. I'm interested in the people and the places because I think, you know, there's only so much you can say about wine itself. You know, it's wet, it tastes like blackberries, whatever. <laughs> um, but I think the fascinating part of wine uh, is the the people who make it, their stories, they're often multi-generational families. They've had to struggle. Um, and, you know, it really means something. It's it's artisanal. They make it with their hands. So I love finding out, you know, going and visiting those people. Often they're eccentrics, <laughs> which is all the better for a story. And they've got fascinating stories to tell. And, well, I'm obviously interested in your books. Uh, are you writing a- another book at the moment? I am. So I'm going to take the deep dive into book number three this year. Um, my previous two were published with Random House, and I'm going on that track again. And this time it's still uh, about the wine world, but more about the world of wine writing. And so it's like the Kitchen Confidential, but of the wine world. So if, if your listeners are familiar with Kitchen Confidential by uh, the late and great Anthony Bourdain, he took pe- people, readers, behind the scenes of what was going on in the world of restaurants. I'm hoping to do that with the world of wine. So, you know, when you see wine scores on liquor store shelves, how did those get there? Who chose them? What's the system? Um, but nothing dry. It's actually some juicy stories about, you know, wine writing, wine writers, the free trips and samples, the the wine competitions, you know, do they mean anything? All those gold medals you see. And I think apart from just the entertaining stories that I hope to weave, I think readers will take away some insider tips, be smarter about buying wine and smarter wine consumers in the end. Okay, sounds good. I, I look forward to that one. All right. I, I, I have read Kitchen Confidential and other Bourdain material. I, food memoirs is one of my favorite areas, actually. I love it, too. And, uh, you know, that's why, you know, the books that I've written so far and this one are memoir-ish. You know, it's all about personal experiences and stories because, again, I don't find, you know, did this wine use Hungarian oak or American oak? I'm not so interested in that piece, but I want to know why this particular winemaker is obsessive with this particular wine and and you know did his mother or father play a part in his obsession and you know how can we relate to these people as people ourselves who love wine so to your point you describe people as well as the wines in some ways the people have a deeper story perhaps you can sum up your fascination with with wine people well i think wine has given me an excuse to be extremely nosy and to ask impertinent questions uh, that I would never ask. I'm an introvert, which is great for writing, but I also need a crutch, so to speak. Um, And wine is my crutch, not just personally, (laughs) but professionally. It allows me to go into people's homes, to sit at their family dining tables, and to ask really blunt and sometimes embarrassing questions. It's all in the context of of the great story and that sort of weaving that all together. But it's my passport into people's lives. And I'm extremely nosy, but extremely shy. And so um, wine has 
taken me into homes and cellars and vineyards and places that I would never have access to, nor would my readers. And when I was on a book tour for my last book, they said, how on earth did you get into Domaine Romani Conti, purportedly one of the world's best wines? You know, it comes out on sale at about, you know, a couple thousand dollars a bottle. They don't have a tasting room. But I said, it's not me who's getting access. It's the fact that I bring you, my readers, with me. They want to reach you. They can't accommodate all of you. So they let me in <laughs> representing you. And that's how I get in and get to ask those juicy questions. So you have indeed traveled through the world's vineyards. Um, I have. Is there one particular place that you can say is your favorite? Wow, that is difficult because, you know, I, I think back and it's like a running film reel in my mind, you know, uh, South Africa and France and Niagara and California and Portugal. I mean, they're just so beautiful. Like, I'm, I'm so blessed that I write about wine and not say plumbing parts. Not that there's anything wrong with plumbing parts, but I'm touring beautiful places where you'd want to live the rest of your life, you know, surrounded by vineyards, this, you know, long green rows of beautiful um, grapes and just sunshine all the time. It has to be the the right climate to make wine. So, I mean, I just, picking one of those spots on the earth um, would be difficult, but I guess if, if you had to pin me down, I'd probably say right here in my own backyard of Niagara. So I'm based in Ontario, and Niagara is just a stunningly gorgeous region to visit. It's got the Niagara Lake and the escarpment, the cliffs and the limestone, but also it has amazing restaurants. Often these wineries have restaurants attached to them. So you get the full gastronomic experience of not just tasting gorgeous wines, but then pairing them with a beautiful dinner and the chef is very aware of the wines and how they're marrying to the food flavors. So one thing I also like about your writing is that you make many references to authors and literature while you're touring and meeting people and, and trying the wine. You must be an avid reader. I am. I'm an avid reader, but even more so an avid listener. So I still count that as reading in that I listen to audiobooks. It's okay. my mode, and I don't know why I came to podcasts so late, but <laughs> anyway, here we are. We're arrived now. But I listen to lots of books, and when I'm going to a region, I'll try to select a book from that region that will put me in the mental framework um, of where I'm visiting, like with Sicily, you know, uh, Lapidosa or whatever. Uh, that book w really helped me uh, to understand the culture. But the other thing I love to do with books, and I'm always doing it, I do it with movies and television shows too, um, is that I try to pick out the wine scenes. I'm uh, like always zeroing in on how is that character holding the wine glass if it's you right. know, television or, or uh, uh, movies. But, you know, in things like, um, or works like Edgar Allan Poe's The Cask of Amontillado. Amontillado is a sherry. And I love that the sherry played a pivotal role that moved the plot forward in that dark, creepy story where the villain lures the victim down into the cellar with a a promise of tasting one of the world's greatest amontillados, sherries, and then walls him up, bricks him up after chaining him to the wall, and he's locked, the, the victim is locked in that cellar forever, alive, and 
I just love that <laughs> when it's sort of the MacGuffin yeah. that Chekhov talked about. Well, you were very lucky. There are so many references to alcohol and wine and brandy and smuggling uh, <laughs> in literature and... <laughs> Yes, and there's a long history of writers in alcohol. Um, oh, indeed. You know, personally, I, I don't know that it fuels creativity. It certainly takes away inhibitions. You know, we think of Hemingway and F. Scott Fitzgerald and all the rest of them. Um, so I, I don't know. You know, I think in the end, immoderation is destructive to the creative force. But I certainly love w wine for me alcohol for them perhaps but in, in moderation I think it does loosen the lips <laughs> and the conversations that happen and unfold over a dinner table right so as we know there's a long long history of wine writing but you're now podcasting and you're also telling me you love uh, listening to audiobooks and you're creating one too um, but when I was listening to your podcast I actually found it quite relaxing to hear someone talking about wine um, you were also explaining about sunny places and vineyards and wine types and so on and I, I just found it quite soothing yeah. I guess I'm not the only one that's great no yeah I think there's a real audience for wine and listeners um, in addition to readers and that is I think we all love to be told bedtime stories I mean that's why I love podcasts and audiobooks. It takes me right back to when I was a child and my mother, who was a school teacher, would read me a book every night or a p portion of a book. And I think it's very um, calming and soothing, as you said, but it, it's also s something that takes us back to childhood, too. The way food and wine can also take us back to a moment in time. It just triggers the memory and the comfort of that and the joy of it. Um, so that's why I, I absolutely love listening um, to stories, and I think wine is suited to that. I think you can tell those stories and just have someone close their eyes and listen, because I'm not reading vintage charts <laughs> or reading tasting notes. I'm telling you a story. Then again, maybe if it helps put you to sleep, then that's good too. <laughs> Sometimes I can't remember the exact wine I was drinking, but I can remember that I was drinking wine and eating fresh mussels and I was in France, and it was a glorious evening, and I had great company. Mm. Those sort of memories stick with me. Absolutely. And taste and smell in particular are the, um, well, smell is the only sense of our five senses that is directly tied to memory. So Proust's, you know, remembrance of things past or time lost, um, he starts off with the Madeleine, eating that little cookie. And it's not so much the taste in his mouth, it's the smell of it that goes right back to the emotional part of our brain, the memories, and takes us right there. And I think that's the power of wine. I mean, I will, I've, I'm more aware of wine labels and wine names, but I'll see a bottle and I'll remember where I had it the first time. And like you, Richard, I'm right there. The place, the weather, the conversation, it's all right there. So one of the, I think one of your missions is to make wine accessible to everybody. Um, certainly Unquenchable was about affordable wines, but it looks like your website is also, you try to avoid jargon, uh, you talk about pricing and price brackets, and you try and make it, make everything easy to understand, which I like. But wine has always been associated with wine snobbery. Do you think wine snobbery is still a problem? 
Uh, well, I think wine snobbery has taken a serious hit with uh, social media, of course, the internet itself, mobile apps, because there's so much um, information that is shared in the comfort of one's own home. <laughs> it's not like you have to go to an official wine class sanctioned by something. You know, you can learn about it from, you know, while you're wearing your yoga pants <laughs> or your PJs. You can share wine recommendations with your friends or get them from other people. You you actually don't need critics like me anymore. Probably shouldn't say that, but <laughs> uh, lots of people just take friend referrals these days. And so wine snobbery, sure, it's still there, uh, but much smaller than it used to be. The, the, the little ventings of wine snobbery that I see sometimes are tasting notes that will have 17 different fruit types. And you think, oh my gosh, I've never smelled or tried brambleberries and gooseberries and everything else. But I think for a large part, wine snobbery is, you know, it's, it's become far less a factor in wine. Now, I think people still get nervous about picking the right wine, you know, when they're in the liquor store. But then again, the mobile apps can come in there like your pocket sommelier. You just scan the label and you can get a review or a score or a food pairing. So all of those tools, I think, have really helped. I just think I'm probably never going to purchase a $300 bottle of wine. <laughs> and that's okay. No, you know, that market is so tiny. It's 0.00001%. In fact, the average cost of a bottle of wine is less than $10. Um, so, you know, they, they call the premium category 12 to 15 or $16. That's where most of us are at. Those are the wines that I drink personally and the ones that I review. I mean, occasionally I'll review more expensive wines if I have samples of them. But really, you know, we're living in a real world with real budgets and we can still get real pleasure from wines in that price range. I always find it interesting, let's say if I average $15 my, for my average purchase of a bottle of wine, but then I push the boat out and go crazy and buy a $30 bottle of wine, I often have trouble differentiating between the quality of the two. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, nearly always the cheaper one seems, seems to be better, but am I, is that just me? No, and you are fortunate because you will have a happy, <laughs> happy taste buds without, you know, taking a hit on your wallet. It's, it's terrific. People have done blind taste tests between, you know, $20, $200, definitely not a 10x difference. And even as you're saying, 15 to 30, a lot of people either can't tell them apart or will prefer the less expensive one, or certainly if they can tell them apart, they don't think that the $30 tastes twice as good as the $15. And I absolutely love finding the $15 that tastes like 30. So it's like going into the, uh, the outlet stores or the warehouse uh, right. stores, you know, finding that Versace jacket at 10% of its original cost. That, I think, is a story worth telling, not, look how much I spent on this wine. <laughs> So I seem to remember y you have drunk some expensive wines, though. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, what? yes. D like the Domaine Romani Conti. Um, I was able to sample that one. That's several thousand dollars a bottle. And no, I would never pay that for it. Yes, it was a magnificent wine and, a, and an experience I'm glad I had. But that's just not my world. But it must be quite, I don't know, 
not sure if humbling is the right word, but quite quite odd to drink something so expensive. Right, and you don't want to even spit it out. That's usually the protocol in tasting wine. There was no way I was going to spit that wine, <laughs> spit out a $200 sip. Um, but yes, they, uh, Alexander Dumas said, Burgundy is a wine best consumed on your knees and ta- you know, with barren head, like take off your hat. Like it is humbling. And right. there is some sort of sensory journey, sensory experience that is if you will, transcendental, if if that is something you appreciate. I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes, unfortunately. But still, you, you're liking your $15 bottles. So it's, li- it's like walking, walking past the Mona Lisa. Do you stop and go, <gasps> and it hits you? Or do you just sort of keep going through the Louvre and go, okay, uh, lunch is in 30 minutes? It, it depends on if that experience matters to you. Well, it's sort of double-barreled for me. Mm-hmm. Because I'm in the Pacific Northwest, and I'm English, <laughs> and so I also love beer. So here I'm a, uh, a craft brewing fan. Um, I, I seek out a lot of local craft ales over here, um, and it's sort of a whole new world. It so is. I switch between craft ale and wine, or both. But um, I find both of them, again, I like the people and I like the stories between all these tiny little breweries setting up all over this region. So I find those two and that they're side by side in the in the, the liquor stores very, very, well, it's just a nice pastime to be picking up this stuff and exploring it. Absolutely. And we have an explosion here of craft breweries as well. I think it's happening across the board. And the names are even fun. Um, and just learning their stories. I think craft beers have taken off. We've got a, uh, a restaurant here that pours 60 different beers by the glass, and they're in wine glasses. It's, it's an extraordinary, I, I think just, you know, gas- gastronomy, gastro travel, gastronomic travel, if you will, all of it. We're all seeking new and different tastes and exploring the stories behind them. Yes, I think it's a golden age. It is. Golden age for drinking. Yes. Okay, it's also a golden age for eating. So you famously pair food and wine, and sometimes in unusual ways. And I I believe you've got something for our listeners. Absolutely, Richard. So just for the listeners of your podcast, I've created um, a PDF. It's free. uh, And it's my seven unusually great wine and food pairings. It's a bucket list. You have to try these pairings before you leave this planet. So I'll reveal one of them, but you have to get the PDF for the other six. So champagne and potato chips, brilliant combination. I wasn't the first to come up with it. Marilyn Monroe in the seven year itch did it first, but brilliant, brilliant, because you've got the champagne, that swarm of bubbles across your palate, your tongue, (laughs) and then you've got the salt and the fat of the chips. And then you go back to the champagne and it refreshes your palate. You're back to that the nice fat and salt of the chips shabby chic it's like wearing (laughs) rhinestones on jeans i love it (laughs) i like it too so people can get this pdf for free at nataliemclean.com forward slash bookshelves and i will also put a link to that on the abe books blog too so awesome along with your books and uh your audio books as well that would be terrific richard uh one last question we're a book show I need you to tell me what book you are reading now. 
Okay, I'm going to seem like a person with a one-track mind here, but I'm reading the the telling room, which is the tale of love betrayal. Well, I'm listening to it. The tale of love betrayal, revenge, and the world's greatest piece of cheese. Yes, I'm reading about cheese, but it's a story, and it's it takes place in Spain in a cave where all the villagers tell their secrets, but the the person who's telling this story finds himself with a cheesemaker who's telling the story be- uh, behind this world's most expensive cheese, but also sort of the, well, the, the, the betrayals and murders and things that have happened just because of this cheese. So there you go. <laughs> That's okay. I I think I could also talk for a long time about cheeses. Absolutely. Yeah, I just finished a course online teaching just wine and cheese. All we did was the deep dive into various cheeses from around the world, and I loved it. All right. Thank you very much. Well, thank uh, you, Richard. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> That's all we have time for this week. Uh, a huge thank you to Natalie McLean for joining us. You can learn more about everything she does at nataliemclean.com. Again, I'll put a link on our blog so you can find that. Don't forget to check out her Unreserved Wine Talk podcast. It's very interesting. I've been listening. Thanks for listening. My name is Richard Davis from Abe Books, and I'll see you again soon. <laughs>